and Kendrick, man, I'm going to really miss you, brother. I just want to say I'm telling you. He's an awesome man of God. Kendrick is just, I mean, one of the guys that's been very special in my life and instrumental in encouraging me. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. And I want this to be beneficial for, for you in your life. Because uh, I have to give an account for it. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building what? An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what? Life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. He has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we will have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. I know the Spirit echoes in your heart, John 14, in my Father's house, of many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. So I went with Ricky Reyes and his family to eat uh, lunch. Lauren was there, we're eating. And this lady and this other lady comes up, and I have no idea who they are. And she's probably about 70, and she's a fireball for Jesus. <laughs> and she was just talking, and she's like saw the, the shirt and she's talking and she goes to Calvary Chapel right down the road and she's on fire for the Lord and excited and she just looks at me and she says, if you weren't saved, I would be witnessing to you right now. And I wanted, to just, I wanted to hear what she had to say, so I wasn't quick enough on my feet. I should have said, well, I'm not saved. Can you tell me? I just wanted to see what she said, but I didn't. And then she begins to go on and on and and Ricky knows somebody she knows and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden she looks at me. And I don't, look, I don't know what it is, but I am a magnet for people to tell me their problems. <laughs> I am a magnet. Like, I don't know what it is. I go to Kendrick to tell him my problems and he just tells me to get tough. I, I, I'm a magnet. So she begins to tell me that her tent is growing. And she looks at me and she says, I'm just on fire. I mean, this lady's on fire. She's going from table to table and I'm going, whoo! She's a pistol. Can you imagine being married to her? She'd wear you out. You'd be in the grave early. And, uh, and so she, she says, listen, pastor. So you know when somebody says that, you know you're going down. And so she says, I have cancer in my throat. And I have two options, nurse. She says, they can either take out my voice box and take out the cancer, which means I'll have to speak, you know, through a trachea, and I cannot eat, so they're going to have to put a tube in, and I will never be able to eat my life normally like I normally do, or I can just wait for this cancer, and they told me that I'll have a massive stroke. Which
which one should I do? That was her question to me within three minutes of the conversation. And she goes, and I've asked a lot of pastors, and I don't have answers. Option number three, right. And so I looked at her and I said, wow. I said, let me ask you a question. Which one gives you the most peace? What do you think I've been praying about, pastor? <laughs> I've been praying for peace, and I don't get an answer. I said, really? You don't get an answer about peace? Well, I mean, I mean, this is my voice, and I love to witness and share and testify. And God, I'd say, God, why are you taking away the one thing that I can use the most for you? And so I said, what gives you peace? I've been praying, Pastor. I said, well, peace overrides logic. What do you mean? I said, well, the world will tell you to do one thing, but God might tell you to do another thing. Because let me just tell you this. When you hold up the Heisman Trophy and you say Jesus is real and God is good, very few people listen to you. But when you can't hardly move and are in the midst of terrible suffering and you say God is good, everyone listens to you. And she just kind of stepped back and, you know, it was like, this, you know, something just hit her in the face. And then she said a couple words and left. For I know, or excuse me, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Um, I love the song that you sang, and I want to add to it a little bit. I want to say this, that I, that I thought about just telling you tonight that the Holy Spirit is not satisfied. I know some of you are going, did that sound? You're about to fire you, John. <laughs> going down. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you were in the presence of the Lord, that you walked out satisfied and you had enough and you could just, you were good to go for a week or a month? Every time I, I get close to the Lord, I can't get enough. In fact, the more I get into the presence of the Lord, when I walk out, the more I feel like I want him even more. You see, I want to give you this, and the points are online on Facebook, they're on summitcharleston.com. I want to say this, that feeding the Holy Spirit makes our thirst for Jesus unquenchable. And that is why you're here tonight, is because I want to stir in you a thirst that cannot, cannot be uh, satisfied until we're in the full presence of God. And that's what happens. So, like Robbie said, you either feed the flesh or you feed the Spirit. The more you feed the flesh, the world looks really good and your joy in the Lord is not really good. And you don't have a drive for the things of God and it just becomes a motion-censored walk with God. And it comes to external stimulation with God because there's nothing really happening internally because the world is a lot more attractive and a lot more great things to do than really being in the presence of the Lord. Because it does take a lot of work in our flesh to get in the spirit. I don't know about you, but we have to get to the end of the flesh before you can get to the spirit. Rarely does the spirit just overcome when you're full of the flesh. So, an equitable thirst for Jesus drives us to focus on eternal things. Eternal things, verse 1 and 2. For we know that if this earthly tent, uh, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing. 
I love that word. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Uh, in other words, when the world means more to me than Jesus, um, then I have problems spiritually. Uh, what does the word longing mean? The word longing literally means in the original language. I thought this was good for you to write down. To pursue with love. Isn't that interesting? To pursue with love. In other words, it's this. Um, there's a dedication in our pursuit, right? If, if Robbie loves Kendrick and they're going to have a close friendship, then he's dedicated in his friendship to Kendrick. Regardless of how Kendrick responds, there's a love for him, and he's going to sacrifice even his emotions to make sure Kendrick is okay. It is a dedication of pursuit. So if we're not pursuing the Holy Spirit, then we are not longing for what God has for us. It is a pursuit of love, and there's a dedication. It really means to long before or long upon. So I'm longing upon Christ. Number two, an unquenchable thirst for Jesus always leaves us restless to, to we are with him. Verse two, um, it says, meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Verse four, for while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I mean, the more in the presence of Jesus, when you walk out, listen, when you walk out of here, there's a residue. When we encounter the Lord, there's a residue, and you feel kind of good, but it kind of fades away a little bit, and then there's a deeper longing, I mean, a longing for Him. In other words, we are restless, restless until we get into the full presence of God. And if there's not a restlessness in our heart, then it means we're really satisfied with the world. If we're not restless and longing for more of Jesus, we are way too satisfied with family and finances and future and jobs and careers and men's adoration and women's praise and the clothes that we have and the, the dreams that we have and the beach trip that we're going on or whatever else. If we are more satisfied with those things, there's never a restlessness in the spirit. I want you to know the closest I am with the Lord, the closer I get to the Lord, the more of a restlessness I have in my spirit. I can't get settled. Because I can't get enough of Jesus. I can't. Like everything else has to pale into comparison. Everything. I have to leave my family. The only way I can leave my family is for me to be so, so restless for the Lord that when my family's around things of the world, I can look at that and say, man, that's nice and it's fun and I'm glad to be a part of that. But it does not satisfy me. And I've got to teach my children that if the world satisfies you more than Jesus, you are going to die very lonely. You're going to die feeling like you've missed something. And I, you can ask Lauren, I challenge my family all the time. Don't wake up in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. Don't wake up and say, if the Lord tarries and allows us to live, don't wake up and say, I wish I could have. I wish I should have. I, I wish I would have tried. Don't, don't wake up and miss the things of God. Don't. Because the world is going to give you one path and one way, and they want, they want conformity, and they want unity, and they want uniformity. And with God, I don't see anything uniform. All I know is the Spirit moves when He wants to move, and it's my job to be in a pursuit of Him. When you look back at Paul here, and he says there, there's an actual groaning in verse 4. For while we're in this tent, we groan in a burden. When's the last time you were burdened for the things of God? I'm not really burdened. 
burned to the point that you were in tears, that you had to, you had to step in, and if you didn't step in, things were wrong, and your life was going to fall apart. That's what it is to follow the Lord. And I want to tell you, that's a great place to be. Well, you have to step in. Well, you have to stand up. You have to confront and say, no, I'm not going to go that way. And yes, there's going to be backlash. And your friends are going to think you're a weirdo. And they're going to think you're crazy. But listen, when you're burning because of a pursuit by Jesus, then it doesn't matter when people are going the other way. I told somebody this morning, I said, listen, following Jesus is like swimming upstream, is it not? Is it? Isn't it? Oh, by the way, follow Jesus. When you swim upstream, there's more pressure in the water, isn't it? Because the water's flowing one way. Oh, by the way, since the water's flowing one way, the rocks are smooth this way. But you swim up that way over that rock. It'll cut you. The people in your life that you thought were rocks might not, might not be the rocks for Jesus when you're burdened for the Lord. You think about it. Think about all the, with the pressure and the fast flow of the water. It's not as clear when you swim upstream. The world becomes real fuzzy, doesn't it? And by the way, there's more things to bump into because everybody is coming your way. It seems like everybody's coming against. <coughs> You've got to be burdened in the Lord. You are the core. You are the very core of the ecclesia, the Greek word that means called out one, gathered and scattered. We've got people scattered that are coming back together. We are the ones that got, we, if we're not burdened, those people won't be, and anybody else we're around won't be. We've got to be burdened to the things of God, because everybody else, the only burden they have is, well, did you pray before you eat? That's the limit of their burden in the Spirit. If that's my only burden in the Spirit, fire me. By the way, I answered the Lord, but I answered you. You are my boss. If that's the only thing that burdens me, then i got real problems. If my burden is only my quiet time in the Lord, if that's my burden for the day, oh, by the way, when I say sometimes it, it is a burden for when you're in the flesh, right? Man, i got to do my quiet time. Man, i got to get this thing done. It's about midnight. And I, don't want, I don't want the day to go by, so let me pop up the Bible app on the phone. Let me hit a quick psalm. Okay, good. Psalm 117 has two verses. There we go. All right, boom. I'm good with the Lord. Right? Tell the truth. Shame the devil. If that's what happens when I'm really pursuing the Lord, there's more of a burden for me to get into his presence. But when I'm pursuing the world, then God really becomes a burden of weight to me. It leaves us restless. Leaving our corporate worship together leaves us with a residue, but it wears off. It ought to be, it ought to be just burden. The word burden means this. I want to give you this in the Greek. It means, it means uh, to weigh down, to depress. In other words, uh, like pressure. It means heavy in weight. Heavy in weight, verse 4. For while we are in this tent, we groan in a burden because we do not wish to be enclosed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And we're crying out, God, give us life. I need life. I need direction. I need answers. I need husband, I need the job. I need finances. I need this. You're crying out for life, and the only person that can give you life is the one that you're burdened for. And we got to be swallowed up by his life. The third thing unquenchable thirst gives us is it leads us to our purpose. Verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. 
who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Here's what the Lord showed me. The more I become burdened for Him, the more, I'm, the more it becomes clear that God, the way that God has wired me. Like, this is, this is what I want you to understand. I have, this is my passion in life is for people to understand how God is wired me. That is the secret for what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life. I am telling you, if you have children, you better lead them this way. If you're teaching there, boom. If you're leading worship, whatever you're doing, you've got to get them to understand how God's fashioned you. The word fashion means this. It means this in the Greek. It means to perform, accomplish, achieve. Here's, what it, here's, a, here's a great definition of what the word fashion means there in verse 5. Get this. It means to render one fit for a thing. That's literally what it means in the original language. It means to render one fit for a thing. And so we've got all these people that don't know what to do with their lives because they're not burdened to be in the presence of God. And until we're burdened to be in the presence of God, we will never understand how God has fashioned us. We will never fully understand the very heart of God because our heart is united in his heart. And when we become one with his heart, as we pursue him, God begins to open up doors for the very things that he has burned in our heart for the spirit to move. And we understand how we're fashioned and we go after it. People do not know what they're fashioned for. I'm convinced. I watch more and more people step out of following Jesus because they're more burdened to have a family and a career and all this other stuff. Yes, God said be fruitful and multiply, but our children are not our idols. Our careers are not our idols. Music is not the idol. Preaching is not the idol. Pastoring is not the idol. I am burdened to be in the very presence of Jesus because I know this, that if my family and this church get in the very presence, and we get in the very presence of Jesus, then guess what? God will teach you things and do things in us that, that will, we will never be able to communicate outside of him. And guess what? Your kids and our family and us will be okay, won't we? We will be okay. We will be all right. Sometimes we have people so worried about providing for their children that they don't even take them to the one who can provide. Because when we're dead and gone, there's only going to be one who can satisfy the deepest need of the soul. And it's not the, the cash that you leave there. Oh, if I could just let some cats out the bag. Lauren knows what I'm talking about. We was with somebody this weekend. Ooh, he was with somebody, and she would rather have her own father dead so she can get a hold of his cash than the joy of what he wanted to joy in. And that's the truth in the moment. But you know what else? I want to show you something. This, this word, fashion, it's 11 times it's used in the New Testament. This is where it gets good. Um, 11 times it's used. I want to show you another instance is used. Can you put that Philippians 2.12? Oh, hey. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but how much more in my absence, Paul saying, right from prison. Continue to what? Work out. Work out your salvation to what? The word work out is the same word as fashion. It's the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, as it is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It's interesting that it says, but work out your what? Salvation in fear and trembling. 
You know what? The Bible's teaching me, the Holy Spirit is teaching me that God has worked out a plan for me as I relentlessly pursue Him. But as I relentlessly pursue Him, I have to fashion my life around Jesus. I have to work out my life around Jesus. I have to fit. Remember, what does the word fashion mean? It means to render one fit for a thing. I've got to fit my life around Jesus. That's what this means to work out. Not work for your salvation, but work out, right? You've got to fit, up, you've got to fit your life around Jesus. You've done that tonight. You came here and you said, I'm going to fit my life around the Lord. I hope tonight you get a taste of him that where you can't get enough. Listen, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leaves us unsatisfied for a reason. It is good because if the Holy Spirit left us completely satisfied, we would never want to be in the presence of Jesus. But what he does is he gives us enough to where we're like, yes, this is so good. And I can rest in this and I'm satisfied. Wait, I want more. That's what it means. I love what he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you can go back to that verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Who's given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, when we go hard after the Lord, we understand our purpose. We understand that God has created us in this handiwork. This, 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 he has fashioned us. We are fit for a thing. Now we fit our lives around the Lord. And we begin to understand this purpose in God. That God has a purpose and a plan. Most Christians are like this. This is how far they are in it. God has a purpose and a plan. And they don't know anything after that. God help us as pastors if we leave people just there. Well, God has a plan. I hear that said by a thousand people. God has a plan. What's the plan? I have no idea, but I'm going to trust him. Faith. Faith. You know what? I'm glad. But God, God just, my God doesn't leave me groping in the dark. I just don't know what I'm going to preach on. God has a plan. He has a plan. I'm just going to stand up here. I have no idea. Spirit's going to show up. Well, then I have to play fun because I just don't know. That's dumb. God either called me to speak or he didn't call me to speak. God either called you to go. Now, you're not going to have everything and know everything. I've got all that dynamic. But listen, God is not going to leave you in the dark. And the reason why we feel like there's a couple layers. One is maybe some of us are trying to figure out what God was. That's not how you figure out the Lord. He plants something in your heart. Then you step out in faith and you go do it. You don't have all the final details. You don't have all the final plans. You don't understand anything, but it takes faith in order to act that power of the Holy Spirit in that level where you go. But what happens is, is that God wants us to go and the majority of people don't go because they're too scared. That's just a fact. <laughs> the fact is, and they cover it with, I just don't know what God's plan is for me. Yes, you do. You are not relentlessly pursuing the Lord. Therefore, you don't know your purpose. The world has become better tasting to you than the ta taste and see that the Lord is good. And so what happens is the world feels our restless spirit. Then we begin to step back and say, I really don't know what God has for me. It becomes clouded. It becomes confusing. It becomes, listen, here's the answer. Pursue God with everything you've got. Therein lies the answer. And you will begin to work out your salvation. You'll begin to fit your life around the things of God. The things of God will take more of a hold on you. And then you begin to understand your purpose. Ephesians 2.10. Remember this? For we are God's. Woo! 
workmanship, handiwork, all those things. That's where we get the word poem. So we are God's poem. We are God's poem. A poem, the reason why English poetry is, is around, because it's, it's almost rhythmic, is it not, in some ways? And there's almost a meter to it in some ways. In other words, there's an aspect of words with, with uh, a rhythm which makes it almost musical and beautiful. Sometimes people are reading a lot of poetry that sounds offbeat. People don't get close to the Lord. So as Christians, they have a poem that makes no rhyme or reason. Remember that in, in high school in English, you would study some of those poet, poems and then you didn't have a clue. Tell the truth. I know some of y'all are small. Okay? <laughs> but don't lie about it. You didn't have a clue what it was. You just guessed. And the teacher up there didn't have a clue either. So she just said, okay. Right? I mean, Ode to a Grecian Urn. That's the dumbest poem I've ever heard in my life. You got two people reaching out, they don't ever touch it. It's the beauty of love and just the effort to get there, but they never get there. That is a depressed individual. Who writes stuff like that? That's terrible. I still can't understand Robert Frost. I don't have a clue what the man said. I would read that stuff and they'd say, now what meter is it? I don't know, Van Halen's? I don't know, tell me. <laughs> what are you asking? I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand the world's depths. But what I do want to understand is the depth of Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus is so sweet to people like me who aren't very intellectual. He makes the water very shallow so I can get in with him. Those, see, y'all saying, John, that's just false humility. No, 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 no. Read scripture. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Mm -hmm. If you read what preachers are, they're not very smart people. <laughs> Paul said, I don't come to wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the spirit of power. <clears throat> For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So, can a few play some overs? I want to, I want to, I want to kind of leave us on this. I can't believe them this early. This is amazing. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Now the one who's fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who's given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now I know you're getting ready to leave here in a little bit, right? Yes. Head to Atlanta. That's one reason that I didn't have to play, because it'd be kind of old. <laughs> but you see, that's why I, I'm, I'm struggling. Um, and I want you to know something as a pastor. We do, uh, pastors today have a lot of plans, don't they? Multiple communities, right? Multiple sites. Battling whether it should be a live feed. I had a, a, a friend of mine I work with here, uh, Michelle R. She's wonderful. Some of y'all know her. And she was at a live feed of, a, of another church and she was sitting there and she goes, The feed went out, John, and it was awkward. And I said, What did you do? I mean, you know, what ended up happening? Well, the, the campus pastor just got up and kind of said some of the things that Sandy Clumps out. It's kind of weird. And, and, um, and, and she is a wonderful church. 
it's not a lot of feet, but they're going to do little uh, communities in different places throughout New Street and Cape Bay, and they're going to probably have a, a, a live pastor there. And, and so I wonder, I said, Lord, why is it? Why is it that you're not burning in me to have all these multiple sites? Like I have zero burn for it right now. Not saying that we won't have it, but it's not a burn for it. Maybe it's just raising other people up. Just don't want to try. Be really cool. But I know what God wants us to do is He wants us to raise people up that relentlessly pursue Him so that they will discover their purpose. So we have a niche. And so, you know, it's real easy. It's real easy to be prideful and just try to uh, build a church of great numbers. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I am saying that is that that is my sole intent. That my sole intent is not really for you. Because then you're just a vehicle to get somebody else. And that is not my goal. My goal is you. My goal is Jesus in you. And this relentless pursuit. Verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Who has given us the spirit as a deposit. And this is the word. Guaranteeing what is to come. That, that word is also translated guarantee. It's also translated pledge, maybe in your Bible. I don't know what, what version you're reading from, but I know New American Standard is, is the word pledge. That means this, a down payment that the full amount will subsequently be paid. The down payment will be paid. So what you're doing in Atlanta and in that price that you're doing, and God is saying that the Holy Spirit's leading you, but one day, like all that work you're going to do, Robbie, this summer before you come back, you might not see anything done. But what's going to happen one day, God will pay that in full. And he based it on this promise. He says it's guaranteeing what is to come. So the work that he's done in us, there's a guaranteed work that is to come. That's why you can do things for the Lord, not seeing massive results, because God is guaranteeing something much better. Okay, He's guaranteeing something much better. But if you really believe that, then you'll rest, you'll relentlessly pursue the Lord. Like you have to pursue Him there. You have to because what you're doing when you're going to go into that church planning mode, what's going to happen is you're going to a place that God owns, but the devil lives. And he doesn't go away easy. Does the devil ever go away easy in anybody's life? I'm just asking you. So it's a, it, and the only way to beat the flesh is to pursue the spirit. And if we don't pursue the spirit, the flesh will act as if it's one. And the flesh is nothing but a lie because the flesh, even our bodies, Patty just taught me how to validate models. But and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And all the blood goes to the thoracic cavity to keep the heart going and the lungs going, even to the point that the mind goes in a coma. You know, that whole idea. I mean, the body holds on for everything. And the Holy Spirit inside us holds on to everything of God. Everything because He is the guarantee. And the moment people don't relentlessly pursue the things of God and the Spirit, they don't understand they are guaranteed for salvation. They start wondering if they can say it.
God has longed to be in the presence of Jesus currently. That's why we don't want to worship the Him when the Spirit really moves. Nobody really wants to leave. And yeah, you're tired right now. You're sitting in your seat. It's all you can do is stay awake. You're tired. And, and Jesus is into those problems. But the disciples, the Spirit is willing to the flesh is weak. Yeah, your body, the flesh always tries to pull back the movement of the Spirit.
promise that he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. The promise that it's not good for you to be alone. The promise that he knows the plan he has. Every promise he has is in Jesus Christ. The promise that he's called for Kendrick to go, for Robbie to go, for all of us to do something with our lives. It is yes in Jesus. But now the onus shifts to us. So you pray, God, you said this in your promise and it's fulfilled in Jesus. If there was no Jesus, then your promises are not real. But because Jesus is real, your promises are real. And then, now it's on us. And so, through Jesus, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. When you and I say amen, we just say yes to what God asked us to do. Everything God said he was going to do, Shows that every 